So, okay. Here's the thing. At, at the time Jesus was born, so now we're going to go back 2,000 years, right? There was this belief that, and, and some of this you may know, but I just want to review to make sure we're kind of all on the same page here. There was a belief that there was two ages in the cosmos, in the history of the world, right? And they split all of time up into the present age and the age to come. Does that sound familiar? Okay, yeah. And so the present age was good creation. It was created by God, but it had been invaded by the powers and principalities, okay? Um, the Satan, the demonic realm, and the the elements of the powers and principalities. The Bible's a little shadowy on what they actually are, but they had invaded and taken over and were ruling the present age. And the present age is hopelessly locked in and enslaved by these powers. So much so that it, one of the main things the Bible tells us that they do is they corrupt human culture and thinking so that even when we try to do our best wisdom, our best, you know, ideas, our best sort of thing, we just get locked in and it might do good in one place, but it harms another. And we're enslaved in this kind of world of the present age that's marked by selfishness, by people looking out for their own interest. And we're just kind of mired in it. So, and because culture is such a powerful force, it, it controls a lot of how we think. So even when we think we're thinking in a godly way, we, we get locked into this circle. That's the present age. And there was really no solution to it other than, well, we'll do the best we can, be faithful to God, follow his rules, and hope that one day he will send the age to come and we'll get out of this age. God will renew everything and make it new. And that would be the end of time. You with me? Okay. Well, Jesus comes and John says something very interesting. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then he goes on and he's describing this word and he says, in him was life. And the way John goes on to use that phrase is that life was the eternal life, which directly translated from Greek into English would be the life of the age to come. So in Jesus, he's a human form of the age to come. This was very puzzling to people in the first century. It's like a category mistake. It would be like if I said, hey, good, good news, I have a really special guest tonight, Heaven is going to be here with us. That'd be confusing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Heaven as a person. That's what John is saying in the opening chapter of John chapter 1. He's like, the age to come was a person. You, the, it, it's broken into the present age. And that life is available to you and you can escape it. Now, we tend to reduce this and think of it as like, you know, there's just two places you can be. I'm either in the light or I'm in the darkness. 
And it's super clear which one I'm in, one or the other, right? But the way the New Testament really thought about it, and the way the early Christians thought about it was, yes, but it's a little more complicated than that. Because the light has come into the darkness, right? And it's like there is a path, but that path is in the darkness, so you can be on that path, and in fact, the early Christians a lot of times called it the two ways or the two paths. You can be on that path, and you're moving towards the life, you're moving towards Christ, or you can get off of that path. <clears throat> and it's, it's wisdom. It's, it's, the point is to move towards Christ in the center. Now, the Pharisees, you know those guys, right? The problem they had was they got locked into this idea of there's two groups. There's the righteous and the unrighteous. You're in or you're out. And so they started to approach their walk with God in a way that they put fences around their group. Okay? And that's how they used doctrines, beliefs, practices, practices is as a fence, this sort of bounded type thinking. So that, well, if you do things the way we think you should do them, you're in. And if you don't, you're out. Right? If you give a tenth of your tithes, if, if you tie the tenth of your spices, then you're holy and you can eat with us and if you're not you're out so in a way I was kind of treating this side of the room with that pharisaical bounded mentality oh you did something wrong now you're out and it's in or out you see this thinking in Galatians 5 let me just show you a couple examples really quick um, let's go to Galatians chapter 5 verse 15 Here we go, here we go. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So you're either led by the Spirit or you're stuck in the present age. I'll explain that more in just a minute. But what that, what that means is, well, let me explain it now, is basically there's two ways of approaching this in thinking. There's new creation thinking or there's bounded thinking. The way we approach this. And so what I want to talk today about is about being new creation families and having kind of a new creation attitude, where we see this as a walk towards God rather than a pharisaical type thinking, which we can easily fall into. Let me describe this for you. In, and I'll show you a couple examples. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 it says, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, 
He used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. There is a way about thinking about our relationship with God where we take the things that God gives us, the wisdom that God gives us, and we use it to build fences. You got to read your Bible every day and we build a fence. You got to pray every day. You got to do this every day and you got to believe that every day. And if you don't do it, you are on the outside. And if you do it, you're on the inside. Right? And it becomes a barrier. And what happens is in that way of thinking, over time we start to lose the center, which is Jesus, the new creation life, the moving towards that. And we start to use these things as to draw lines, right? And it really then becomes, this becomes our identity. And we can pass that on. So rather than saying, well, you know, if you're in or out, it's because you're moving towards Christ or you're you know, becoming more Christ-like or you're having the fruit of the Spirit. It becomes about, did you have your quiet time? Are you sharing your faith? Do you believe this that we believe? Do you do this? And if not, and so what, how we start to identify ourselves is by the fences, right? Because that just makes it easier. That's what the Pharisees did. They identified themselves with, do you have these same fences that I do? That's bounded thinking. Paul continues on in verse 14 and he says, when I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So Paul is saying, why are you drawing lines? What is with this line drawing here? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Paul here is describing centered thinking, and he's careful not to draw a new line. Like, well, you're a line drawer, Peter, so you're now on the outside, because on the inside of my lines, I don't have line drawers. <laughs> and that's easy to do. So let me put it this way. There's three ways of thinking, okay? Let me introduce a third way here. And you see that in Galatians. Let's go back to Galatians 5, and then I'm, I promise I'm going to make this all make sense. Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. This one is called fuzzy set. F-U-Z-Z-Y. In the 1970s, a missiological anthropologist named Paul Hebert said, you know what? I like math. 
He loved math. So him and Josh would have gotten along. Right? The math guy back there. And he said, in math, there's this thing called fuzzy sets, bounded sets, and centered sets. And he brought that idea into groups. And then eventually other people have applied it to church groups and said, here's three ways of thinking that we can fall into. One is a fuzzy set, which means, oh, you know, we don't have any boundaries. Whoever wants to come in, it's just, we're just going to love you and you do whatever you want. And we're just, you know, it's about Jesus and love and no boundaries. And that doesn't really keep the community together. But then he said there are bounded sets. And bounded sets are those that are defined by their lines, right? And so, again, you start to do these things as our identity. And that becomes more important over time to define who we are than the center. But I've talked to a lot of young people over the years, and I say, hey, you know what? How, how are you doing spiritually? How's your faith? And you know what 95% of them respond to me with? I mean, I don't know. I could be doing better with my quiet times. Um, I don't pray that much. You know, I really haven't... <laughs> Like, I don't, know, I don't really share my faith or invite anybody to church. I was like, why do you think I asked you any of that? I asked you how your faith was. Where are you at with Jesus? You're giving me answers about things, right? What I've never had a kid do is go, you know, I'm really deepening my understanding of the fruit of the Spirit. I'm really learning what it means to be close to Christ. And I think it's really easy, without realizing it, to send a message that like, well, what a Christian is, is to be on the inside of the fence, and you do this, and you do this, and you believe this, and you think this, and then you're inside the fence. And if you don't, you're outside the fence. And that message comes across, right? I had a, a conversation with an elder a couple weeks ago in one of our churches. And he said, man, I'm really frustrated. I'm just going to be honest. He said, I'm frustrated. I said, why? What's up? And he goes, well, I just found out my 17-year-old son is studying the Bible and he's dating a girl from his high school. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, no, you don't understand. She's... Not from our church. I was like, oh, okay. What are you so irritated about? He goes, well, I've always told him two things will get you in trouble in our house. Being mean to your sister and lying. And he was lying. He was kind of covering it up. I said, okay. And he goes, I, I don't understand why. I always told him, you can come tell us anything, just don't lie. Right? He said, I don't understand. I said, well, I do. It's really easy to get the idea that one of our fence links is, clearly, you don't date non-Christians. At least in our church, right? That's just passed on. You don't date non-Christians. Relax. I'm not saying it's okay to do that or wise. But it was set up and in this bounded way of thinking because your identity becomes whether you're in or outside of the fence. And if you know that's one of the sacred fence links, 
if you start to do it, the way you respond in a bounded community is just, I just keep it secret. It leads to sort of covering it up. Or the feeling that you want to, right? Because you're like, I know I'm going to get on the outside. Because <laughs> that's how we define our identity. So that's the bounded way of thinking. The unity and identity tends to come from the line drawing. We can do this, we can say, and he, without realizing it, had sort of sent that message in his home. He's like, well, I never said that. And it's like, yeah, but he got the message, right? Unity and identity form lines. The lines are drawn to clarify who's on the inside, who's on the outside. There's a need to distinguish in a bounded set mentality. Um, the clarity that it provides can also lead to sort of a status or superiority, right? The more you hold the line on the fence, the more you're lifted up. Like, and if you're a little unsure, you know, I'm not so sure about this one. I'm not so sure about you. If you're not sure about the fence, there's not a room to ask questions. Hey, don't push up against a fence. See what I'm saying? It can become performance-based. This is all laid out. Um, There's a great book, if you want to read more about it, called Centered Set Church by Mark Baker um, is one source. You don't want to read Hebert, the missiological anthropologist. That's um, Save yourself from that. But um, motivation um, can come from others and their approval and conformity to the boundary outsiders start to feel like they're second class. Or if, well, I question things, I, he's like, oh, no, you're welcome. But they sort of know in their minds they're kind of outside. And sometimes you're like, why are they always sort of out there? Because they know that they're outside the fence. You just may not know it. It can lead to a judgmentalism can sort of be in the air. Doubts and questions are discouraged. It's a uniformity rather than a unity. Like I said, it can encourage secretive behavior and status seeps in. Now in Colossians 1.28, Paul says, I'm working and striving so that we're all built up together in Christ, to be complete in Christ, to be more like Christ. Christ is the center that we should be moving towards. And that's the other option. That's the option that the early Christians were adamant about was that it was the Pharisees who wanted to put up the fences. Jesus came and said, there's a path leading to me. And it's a path to wisdom. And so let, let me describe a centered set church. And a centered set church keeps Jesus as the center and identity not the things. Now, it's not a fuzzy set where we just throw out all the things. Let's just get rid of them all. That was a cheap teacher ploy to get your attention back, by the way. I used to be a high school teacher. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a high school teacher? was a high school teacher. became a high school minister. Now I'm a middle school teacher. Oh, God bless you. <laughs> Good night. Middle school is like, whoo. 
So in centered set, these things, let me just use a quiet time as an example, but any sort of belief, any of these things, right? Instead of, did you do it? Did you do it? Are you in or out? You, you teach people that this is a path of wisdom. It's not a fence. It's a path. Why do we have quiet times? Not just do it because that's what Christians do. You're in or you're out. Why do we share faith? Why do we have these guidelines? Why do we not date non-Christians? It's not because, well, if you do it, you're marred for life and God now hates you and you're on the outside. It's because this is a path of wisdom that leads us out of the enslavement of the present age. It's this path of the new creation. So reading A Quiet Time... It's not like some magical thing that happens if you get 30 minutes. Now you're, way to go, you're in. It's where it leads you. It's not, why do we, you know, maybe not want to date non-Christians. It's not because if you do, you're forever cast out to the kingdom of hell. It's because that's a really dangerous, unwise path that leads you back into the enslavement of the present age, of the powers. Wisdom leads us towards Christ. We become more like Christ. We do things like Christ. It leads us to the fruit of the Spirit. And so a centered set community is an invitation to discover Jesus. And I've found as a parent, it's really easy to fall into a bounded way of thinking because that's easier. Just don't do that. If I'm honest, we have two sons. We have a 26-year-old and we have a 19-year-old. Um, we were young Christians with the 26-year-old and we raised him in a bounded way. And he bucked up against it. He, he kind of went along. He was the good, in fact, here's the path. And I know these are only two examples, so it's small. He was by 17, he was the superstar of our region. That teen, right? The teen that people were already asking to do lessons at teen camp. The one that like, you know, campus ministers were coming, like actually recruiting him to come to their ministry. He's a great kid. I love him to death. But we had raised him with this bounded way. And eventually he threw that off because it's not a motivation that will last. And when he messed up, he felt like he got really secretive. He got withdrawn. He was like, I'm outside of the fence and I know it. And then eventually he was there long enough where he was like, you know what? Forget their stupid fence. I'm gone. He's 26 now. He was baptized at 14. Our 19-year-old... We said, you know, we're going to raise him towards wisdom. Give him choices. Lay it out. Rather than, you know, there are always exceptions. There are some things, you know, like you got to say, you know, just no. But most of the time, it was like, well, here's why we don't do that. Here's the wisdom. Here's, here's what can happen. You've got to make that choice at an age-appropriate level. We taught him wisdom. We taught him to move towards Christ. We taught him this is a path. And what it is, is we're, we want to be moving towards Christ. It doesn't matter where we are in that path. We're all moving in the same direction. We all need to go that same direction. And if you mess up, if you stumble off the path, that's great. That's fine. We all do that. Let's get back on the path. 
you can turn around and make wise choices. Because one of the mistakes that we made too was, and I'll be sensitive in how I say this, but there was, you know, a way you can present like, well, you want to do, you know, as a teen, you don't want to do certain activities because if you do, you only get it once. And if you give that away, you don't get it back. Because we desperately want to keep them, their robes white, you know? And so it's like, no, you, you got to be able to keep that white robe and present it to somebody someday and, you know, give it to them. And you get it dirty once and you can't clean it, you know, that sort of message. But what we didn't think about is if they did stumble, now they're like, I'm stained forever. Rather than just, okay, that wasn't wise, and here's some of the things that can happen when you're not wise. <laughs> Hope you're ready for that. Now, none of those things happen, but this guilt said it. Our younger son, we try to lay out wisdom and teach him wisdom. He didn't become a disciple at 14. He didn't become a disciple at 15. But he was so much more like Jesus, learning to think like Jesus, learning to move towards Jesus and just understand what wisdom was, that even though he wasn't baptized, he made wise decisions. He just moved in that way, right? Um, he's 19 now. He's a freshman in college. And he to, there's a point where you start to go, do we blow this just in a different way? And he came to me a week and a half ago and he goes, Dad, I didn't tell you, but I've been praying about it for a couple months and thinking about it and I'm 100% ready to follow Jesus. Just out of the blue. I was like, okay. And I have no doubt that he understands what it means. He doesn't have the guilt. He doesn't have that bounded thinking. So centered is an invitation to Jesus. It's, it's teaching them that these things are paths to wisdom rather than setting them up as fences. And I get the fear, especially as parents, of why we set the fences. I get it. But you got to be really careful. And young folks, all those, all those things that you hear people telling you about Jesus and reading the Bible and doing this, that's why it's wisdom. These are paths that lead us towards being like Christ. So it's all about wisdom. It, it, it's direction, not proximity. It's what direction are you going, not whether you're in or you're out. Because line drawing is really about in or out, makes it easier. It, it leads us to approach things in more case by case than just blanket rules. It's new creation thinking. Our identity then comes from the center. It comes from moving towards Christ rather than, well, I do these things. Because here's the thing. Is it not possible to have all these fences up and do all these things and be nowhere near Christ in your heart? That's why Jesus said, didn't he say to the Pharisees, you do all these things, but your hearts are way over there. 
And yet I've seen people that are moving towards God that maybe aren't quite having all these things figured out, but they're moving towards God. You see what I'm saying? I, I think I'd rather have that if I had to have a choice. And, and so I think that's what our younger son was like, you know, I don't exactly go to church all the time. We didn't, you know, as he got older, it's like, you got to choose that. I don't exactly read the Bible all the time, but he started moving towards God and, and felt invited in. Didn't feel like, oh, well, but you're still outside, right? There's light and darkness, but it's about a path, not a fence. Are you moving towards it or farther away? Uh, there's no status levels with that way of thinking. Unity comes from orientation to the center alone. That's what, that's what unifies us. It's not fuzzy. People worried about Paul saying this too. Are you saying you should go on sinning, you know, so that grace may increase? By no means. We're moving towards Christ. Um, those going in the other direction still feel invited. You're always welcome. We don't need to put up those walls. Again, just to be clear, I'm not saying there's not boundaries. There's boundaries, right? So just relax, parents. Yes, there's boundaries. But it's about how we present them and how we use them, what the purpose is for. Is this making sense? Yes. Okay. Um, those that don't agree on every single thing are still welcome. Still come on the journey. We'll, we'll figure those out as we go. Um, Questions and doubts in this model are embraced. I, anytime I get a group of young people together, I want you to hear this. If you didn't hear anything else I said and you were thinking about what you're going to do on Monday and this weekend and, you know, when the next episode of Bel Air comes out or whatever you're thinking about, um, hear this. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Certainty is the opposite of faith. You have to have an element of doubt in order to have faith. If you have certainty, then you know. Raise your hand if you have absolutely no doubts about being a Christian and following God and God in the Bible. That's part of faith. And I've seen too many young people be like, well, I have questions, I have things I don't understand, I have doubts, I have stuff that doesn't make sense to me. I guess I'm not inside the fence. I guess I can't be a Christian. No, that's part of faith. In Matthew 28, the disciples were standing in front of the resurrected Jesus and it says they believed, but some doubted. They're right there in front of a resurrected dude. And they're like, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I, I still got questions. Yeah, exactly. This could be, you know, this could just be a weird TikTok video. I don't know. <laughs> so you can still move towards the center and have those doubts, have those questions, have those things you don't understand and still have loyalty towards Jesus and moving towards the center, his kingdom, his way, the new creation. Um, uh, I'll kind of finish with this. Um, 
I think a new creation home asks, what does it mean for all of us to draw closer to Jesus? We asked that in our family group a couple weeks ago. One of our um, young couples said, the whole family group lesson was, what does it mean to draw close to Jesus? And you'd be surprised. Everybody was like, oh, um, gosh, I don't know what it would mean to draw close to Jesus, I guess. And they kind of fumbled around and then we eventually got somewhere. But it's one of those things we say, but what does it mean? Do we ask as a family, let's sit down as a family, what does that mean? A bunch of imperfect people all trying to move closer together. I'm sure you all have figured out at this point that your parents are not perfect. Right? They all got that look like, sadly, yes. Like, been done knowing that. A new creation home asks, are there spiritual things that we do without knowing why? I love to ask teens that. Is there stuff we do that you just don't know why we do it? That's not good. We want to know why we do it. How is this moving us towards Jesus? How is this giving us wisdom? Do we focus more on the actions of others or on growing the fruit of the Spirit? Is it more about, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? Or are you becoming more more and more a picture of the fruit of the Spirit? Um, in a new creation church, I think that it's a group that questions why we do things in a healthy way so we can move closer to the center. It's a group that is relational over institutional. Hey, we're all in this together. We're all moving towards the center. It's, you know, and here's the scary thing about having that centered way of thinking is, yeah, it's not as always clear cut about who's in and who's out. It's about, hey, let's just keep moving. And again, not saying fuzzy, right? But it's just sometimes there's kind of like, well, yeah, come on, invite. That's the way Jesus was. Who was Jesus always hanging out with? The insiders or the outsiders? Well, yeah, it sort of defeats the purpose of what all I'm saying here. He didn't see it that way. But he always got accused of being with the outsiders, right? Because he wanted them to move towards God, move towards wisdom. It's an invitation to a collective journey and an openness to shortcomings in the community. I love to tell my kids where I mess up, where I struggle with my faith, where I, you know, things like that, so they can see that it's a journey together. Um, I'm going to stop there. That was a slam bang finish, wasn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, I told, I told the staff the other day, you were there, right? I said the very first time I ever did a lesson, uh, it was for a leaders meeting on a Sunday afternoon. And they asked me to do this lesson. I did something on Psalm 90 and I was up there first time and realized I didn't know how to end the lesson. And so I was like, so I literally just went, and that's the show. Um, and 
ended it there. But no, I think we want to have some Q&A. Is that right? So I, oh, okay. Here you go. Thank you so much, Michael.